Howdy Wild Detectives. Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous evening here at the Wild Detectives. This is Inner Moonlight. I'm your host, Logan Cure. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, and tonight is special, as you know. Um, so we are celebrating five years of Inner Moonlight tonight. And we're also celebrating the kickoff for the Dallas Is Lit Festival. So I'm going to start with a lot of thank yous. First person I want to thank is Katie Dykus. Um, Katie Dykus is a friend of mine. We went to college together. She is the reason that Inner Moonlight exists. So I met Katie Dykus in college when she wrote uh, a newspaper article about me for our college newspaper, The Battalion, because I had self-published a book. Um, and Katie and I have been friends ever since, and she was friends with the folks here at the Wild Detectives, and when they said they needed a poetry curator, she said, I know just the person. So big, big thanks to Katie Dykus. She has continued to be a collaborator. She um, was featured on the podcast-only iteration of the show, so I wanted to take a moment to really, really say thank you to the person who got this started. I also want to say thank you to the Wild Detectives. Uh, the Wild Detectives decided that they wanted an in-house poetry show, that that was something that they really wanted to be intentional about, and everything I asked for, they said yes. Um, when I said we got to pay people, they said yes. When I said I want to make other things, I want to make reviews, I want to make podcasts, I want to do all this other stuff, they said yes. I want to make sure that we can you know, host this show back in person in a way that's going to like meet everybody's needs. I want to continue to be a podcast, I want to do all of these things. They said yes. Um, the Wild Detectives is huge in our community. They have made this show possible. They have made the show the magic that it is. Thank you so much to the Wild Detectives. I also want to thank the Writers Garrett. The Writers Garrett became our sponsor in February of 2021. And that was another situation where it was a lot of wonderful yeses. They really have helped me to expand the things that we can do with the show. It has made doing this and being with y'all so much better. I was able to pay people more. So there was all kinds of great things that came with our, our relationship with the, the Writers Garrett, who are also just tremendous in our community. They do so many things that help us all. Um, and I'm so honored that we get to be the kickoff for this tremendous festival Dallas is lit. I want to thank the writers and the audience. Um, none of this happens without you. And so many of you are both, right? So many of you are both people that I have featured or people who have performed on the open mic and people who show up here month after month after month. Um, we have a ton of regulars. We have a great community here. We are one of the queerest readings in Dallas, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so there's so, so many things that would not be possible without y'all. You stuck with me during the pandemic. You listened to the podcast. You showed back up here in person when we came back here in person. You have made this such a beautiful experience for me. And I cannot thank the writers and the audience enough. Thank you. And my final thank you is to my wife, Lorelai. <laughs> Um, she is a huge supporter of the show. She is with me almost every show, as you've noticed. She listens to me like ramble all of my thoughts about this all the time. She is the best wife I could possibly ask for. So thank you, thank you, Lorelai. Okay, 
That was all of my thank yous. I do want to remind you a little bit about the history of Inner Moonlight that we got started in 2018. For two years, I was just a live show. I featured intentionally paired poets. So sometimes it was like the author and their publisher, who's also a poet. <laughs> I, I featured couples. I featured like really intentional pairings, people who wanted to perform together. And I celebrated the first anniversary with a big party like this, which was awesome. Um, and by the time we hit the second anniversary, it was April of 2020 and the pandemic had began. So we did a, like a, a video sort of version of a second anniversary celebration. And then I was on hiatus for a long time. And I came back as a podcast. So lots of reading sort of went the Zoom route and curating a Zoom did not sound joyful to me. <laughs> but I love podcasts, I'd made podcasts in the past and so I decided to do that. And that opened me up to being able to reach people who were all over the world. So like Katie Dykus who lives in Madrid like writers who had some kind of Texas connection but had moved on. So I got to feature so, so many beautiful and interesting people during my podcast era. Um, and a couple of those people were here tonight, so I'm really excited about that to finally get to feature those people in person. I was a podcast for almost a year before coming back in person. And coming back in person was a real transition because I wanted to keep the podcast. Um, so I decided to live record it and add interview questions, only feature one person to really get the chance to like ask all the nerdy questions that I wanted to ask, that the things that I really loved about that podcast era, I wanted to maintain. And I also wanted to maintain the audience. We had an audience. We were mentioned by the Texas freaking monthly, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. And what they said, what they said about the show is that it makes poetry accessible. That it offers a way for people who like all different kinds of poetry, who have all different kinds of maybe preconceived notions about poetry, to access, connect to, and enjoy poetry. Um, and that is why we're here. So I felt very seen by the Texas Monthly when they said that, and I really, really wanted to keep that accessible situation, right? Because so many people will tell me, oh, you know, I really wish I had been able to be at like XYZ show, right? And it's like, well, guess what? You still get to experience that. So we've been back in person since like, I think it was like November of 2021, 20, which is crazy. And the show has just been getting bigger and better. And we've had crazy turnouts. We've had amazing performances. We've had people really like tolerate some very cold weather. Um, <laughs> it's been incredible. And I really, I cannot, I cannot express how important it has been to me. I think especially sort of especially in the parts of our sort of shared history where connection was hard. Being able to make the podcast and being able to come back here and have this be what I come back to has been a tremendous gift. So thank you so much for that. We're gonna hear a little bit more about the Dallas Is Lit Festival at the end of the show. Um, I'm gonna let executive director from the Writers Garrett, the illustrious Aaron Glover, talk about that at the end. But this is the first event. So I hope you have all figured out your agenda for the rest of the festival. I'm so glad you're here and I hope you will continue to come to the events. So what will happen tonight is we have 12 readers who have been featured in the past. You're going to hear from each of those readers. There will not be an intermission like normal and we're not gonna do an open mic like normal. We have such a huge lineup that we are going to hear from one writer right after another. So as you all know, not everybody's a poet. I sometimes include writers from other genres. So you're gonna hear a lot of poetry, but you're gonna hear some other stuff too, as always. I will be telling you like 
when the person was originally featured. So we're going in order of, of when people appeared and you'll be able to hear like when in the timeline they fell as their original feature. So I want to introduce our first reader. I am really excited about this reader. She was featured in April 2021 during my podcast only era with work that stays relevant. Please welcome Robin Meyer. Hey y'all, got my uh, cough drop nearby because this is allergy season. Can I get an amen from the allergy suffering? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm reading from my book that was featured on the podcast, I Am the State of Emergency, and the shortest possible explanation, uh, just uh, so you know, some of the opinions that you'll hear in these poems are not those of the author. It's a book about our culture wars and our communication and our lack of communication and how we just can't freaking talk to each other anymore, okay? It was also a listening project, so a lot of the stuff um, in the book is either verbatim, things that I heard said to me, about me, about other people in my presence for like a period of almost a decade. So here we go. 86. I hold these truths to be self-evident. My family was marinated in special sauce. Yours is just ketchup and mayonnaise stirred with a finger. Mine is microwave safe, hands-free, new-new. Yours is tin foil and corded, an old new. Isn't it interesting how different we are and how little we know about each other after living and dying together all this time? And how the past cares so deeply about you, but the future couldn't give a fuck. Ooh, cross between poems, yes. <laughs> All right, 67. Cite your sources, please, and thank you, and fuck you, because the thing to remember is that I'm a good person, and I'm not the only one who thinks of me that way. Ergo, my sources are impeccable. My information is correct. You're just a day player in this conversation. What you bring is disposable. Your, your essence is interchangeable with anyone from your background slash foreground, the genius of central casting. So to recap, I'm pretty damn good, empirically speaking, and you are tenuous at best, so no one needs to worry about my sources, okay? And whether they are credible or suspect or even exist. <laughs> Let's not blame them because they're stupid. Let's blame them because they were raised that way. Shrewd, but not smart. Probably grew up in the house of an ignoramus and just never bothered to quit misunderstanding. Or they were forced to watch a certain kind of television or mating ritual or pledge allegiance to some prosperity revelation instead of everything that's more intellectually nutritious. Maybe it's just vitamins they lack. Let's not blame them because they're wrong. Let's blame them because they can't tell the difference. They don't understand who they are and are not and what is wrong and what is not. I'm sure they didn't have the proper education or they had too much, too many degrees or the wrong ones. Years of sheltering in place, in the wrong place, hiding in the bed skirts, observing but not participating, never understanding they had choices and that the stink of aspiration will fade. They're products for that. But who am I to speak about another person's experience or beliefs or lack of either or lack Extenuating circumstances could apply. The usual charitable assumption should be made because if I'm guilty of anything, it's empathy. <laughs> 70s. 
79. The list is so long. People I can't stand, places I'm boycotting, friends I can't be friends with anymore. It's exhausting keeping up with it, but I do it because America. <laughs> All right, number six. Authenticity is a feeling I have. When I see it, I just know. It doesn't bore me or ask me to consider. It's more of a gut thing. My colon can tell when someone's lying and when they're testifying. And I have to admit, my pancreas is an excellent judge of character. So don't waste your time coloring maps, gathering data, sorting information, crafting a message, making a difference. Just give me the feels or my body will reject you. There's nothing so right as a belly. Because the streets look beautiful on fire, the steady, ponderous tracking shot is an exquisitely long take, all meaning lost in the flight of cinders and the crackling, moaning collapse out of frame that so captures your imagination, you forget this eulogy is a burning rope. This is my last one. I'm going to come in right on time, y'all. Okay, 76. How good it feels to be truly free of you. I probably would have gone on trying. Being fair, defending your right to say it, attempting to understand, avoiding the hurt I could inflict for years if this hadn't happened. And the best part is how obvious it now is that you never gave me the same courtesy or care or paused to consider what might hurt me or held back when your hate and anger began to, began to describe people like me and there was a chance I might realize it and feel something about it. It wasn't always like this with us, or rather, with you, but there really hasn't been much us for a while now. And realizing that is just the best because now there's nothing truly lost in losing you except a past we shared that was so much better. And it's not really lost. Who we were to each other remains, like the memory of a stuffed animal or a beloved pet. So vividly there, feeling still so accessible and real, but without benefit of a body or a reason that's not bittersweet. What goes on is me and you, in tandem but not in touch. I hope you find the same blessing in it if you ever notice I'm gone. Thank you. Our next reader was featured podcast only in uh, May of 2021, Amanda Mitchell. Mostly myth. <laughs> uh, thank you, Logan. Thank you, all detectives. Thank you, Inner Moonlighters. Inner Moonlight Tees, all of the above. Uh, I'm going to read not one, not two, just three uh, poems from this book, The Habiliments, which has been out for a hot minute. The dream in which the synonyms are also homophones. Refracted sleep stirs me to long journeys that end in cups of coffee. Light has its bias. Movies are a malaise. 
Amid boxes full of eye drops, frames are sentinels compelled to pursue whatever fiber or follicle or speck is plugged into the vivid grid of perpetration. I hear, I think, cause and warbles buzzing in these muted interstices. But down the hall and beyond the door, there is no pied breast, no quill, no panic, no selling, and no buying, only closets in a dim rummage of plastic, hangers, and cardboard starving. The dream in which civilization is, by some miracle, the least egregious of our mistakes. This is how the house emanates with tropic and rattled flames. A shutter unshuts in the stagnant mountains of November. The refrigerator splits with appetizing brambles. I can spin out on the carousel of the living room sofa, never mind the arabesques and emerald throwaways staggering the jousts. Do you send me on these meager convolutions to recall me, to accrue me, as I was harassed, imbecile and wizard in my debts? But then I look how fat you've grown with damages, jowly and huffing from sympathies. Of course you won't rest, not when you're pinned in a hooligan nagging. Of course, if you shuck off all my willing, the house looks just like a crib. And finally, the dream in which I ride an ass braying through teeth of amethyst and palladium. This season, I'm going to be all about the eerie apology I've decided. This year, that is a guest room proud of its DVD collection and the modern portraits over its bed. This year is going to be all about the latest in shame. I love you, Annihilation. How I love to rob you, to affect as your acolyte copycat and then feign that I friended your manias first, discovered their lots and easements, their mockingbirds and incorporations, and then bequeathed them to you on the stiletto lip of some reverse primogeniture. This decade I've resolved to build my house out of what facades are left of the styles you hated, to sweat out the rubber gloves, to breathe the bleach, to file the plats certifying my regrets. Let's not drive around with our turn indicators perishing anymore. Let's take our noodles together. This room swept down to the undulations of its bolts and tacks. This may be the last time we meet one another. As much as I believe anything, you should know I don't believe that. Annihilation, you know the clanging of my echoes. Thank you. Please welcome our December 2021 featuring one of my personal heroes, Sugar. I'm very um, convicted to not be reading from a book, and I've been doing this since nine, and I'm 43. When I met Logan, I was on the stage saying, this is the time of revelation, not of hesitation, but of contemplation of the hostility in our nationality. You see, I bleed red, was beat blue, and I pledged the white stars too. So don't condemn me to no motherland, because mine built this with her own hands. Don't tell me about no jungle, because mine is a 500-year and continuing struggle. I am the American child, previously drove over Atlantic miles. I fought in war after war and was in to back door after back door. Of whom are you a descendant? 
Probably a Czech Irish immigrant. I built this city and motherfucking rock and roll, so don't give from them days of all, cause of them good old days. The breast you suck was mine. Between black thighs, did your daddy become a man? And even your mama couldn't understand the rejection of her ivory hands or your daddy's addiction to them field hands. But today, she's trying to get an understanding of all that blackness your daddy was demanding. And it's all too late to start a clean slate because like you taught me, an object in motion stays in motion. And to reckon with it, you can teach that melting pot shit. But these Arabs and Palestinians ain't having it. And yeah, I know some of the lingo, but it was you who taught Grandpa Mandingo to speak after omitting his language and beating him weak. So I'm like trying to keep it plain Jane. We living in the last, last lane to defeat, and too many tree trunks watch black limbs dangle to just give my land over the name of Allah or Jehovah. Not within that very same name where my ancestors kept tame. Sing it, guide me over, great Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land. Even if it was an escape plan, too many were lost, but too high cost to just throw our hands up and say, damn, Jim, we lost. So stop clutching your purse and stop racial profiling. My brother worked for it, and if nothing else, history paid for it. Actions speak louder than words, and only one black inaugural speech have I heard. So stop trying to put the pledges back in these schools with liberty and justice for all, when all you see me fit for is playing ball. My ancestors fought for the opportunity for me to be free, and now that I recognize freedom as a state of mentality, I say never again another Vietnam. I will not fight to come home and be disrespected, so you tell Junior, Jeb, and everybody, I'm sorry, but your invitation has been rejected, and get his daddy to explain the politics of the situation. <laughs> I suppose you said this after that. But she was still like, let's be friends. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, here's a funny one to, to balance, because that's life. I love you, Lillian. Thank you for joining mommy today. Now he was fine. Ooh, he was fine. He was at first book. Go home, pick up the good book. Hallelujah, fine. He blew minds from left to right with a profile just so tight. He had women in single pants, single file like ants ready to come up his pants to get a taste of that better than sex piece of cake. And all it would take is just one glance where and send me into a trance where I select names for our future kids. But from one word, I snapped back softly, ready to speak softly to the soul that I was molded to make with. I mean, I was like ready to Xerox him with these childbearing hips. More than parental discretion would be advised. Even the karma suture would get a rise if he did all this to me from just one look. Imagine the severity of his touch rolled up into too much of a man one tragic night. They'd have to extend night to me 24 hours and a day just so that I could love on him the right way. I'd be like Aerosmith, never wanting to miss a thing. I'd bling bling him, voodoo trick him, old school cook him, victorious to create him into my world. And if it was not a girl that he fancied, I'd change my name to Yancey for a chance to prune like Luther. If he was a Bible banger, I'd win Jesus died on the cross. He paid it all, so there'd be no more loss. Open up, I'd say, open up and receive your Eve. I mean, I'd like catch the Holy Ghost in everything. Down to the last drip drop, I'd up seven one and call the week done at eight just so that we could love on him in his own weekly holiday. We'd all convert to Himanism and speak Himanese. Side dialing, no? Sidely, no, how may I serve you today? How may I serve you today? But it keeps leaving me like Alicia Keys saying, you don't know my name. Proclaiming like India Ari that I am ready for love, but perhaps he is not ready for me. Peace. Please welcome Mr. January 2022, the unforgettable Matt Oh, thank you. What an act to follow, Jesus. <laughs> Good planning. I'm gonna read some sad love poems. So, yeah. There we go. 
Okay, um, I'm gonna read three to you. Um, and they're pretty short. All right, this is called Tesla. I met him in May. Pear trees exploding, their milk-white petals, <clears throat> their scent of sweetened rot. This was the summer I decided to live in the arms of whichever man would have me, my skin a pool rippled and electrified by his gaze, his words, his touch. We shared beers. We split our time between his green sofa and gray sheets. A month of this, yet still he refused to let me touch him in public. The trees shed their blooms. I asked him to take us anywhere so I could ride in his car. As long as we stayed in motion, we were headed somewhere together. Eventually, I stopped returning his messages. One day, I thought, I would forget the weight of his hand on my face in that gray dawn light. All right. Next one. Um, this poem is tentatively titled New Love. We were settling into it, dog on his stomach, his legs draped over my lap, drag race on the TV. It was summer. Heat threatened to upset the grid. Five stories below, music mixed with waves splashing at the pool. Tell him you love him, scrawled on my to-do list, the habit still forming. All afternoon, his weight sank me into the couch. The quilt covered us like earth. Who will be the first of us to go? We kept ourselves busy with wine. Each time a girl went home, she wrote a line on the mirror. Just like her, I imagined the show would never end. And this last one is called After Meeting His Family for the First Time. At the end of the trip, sun running aground behind us, orange lavender horizon before us, dog tilting his head out the window, I say it. I say it down into my lap like I am light struck by what I've just glimpsed, the blindness fading slowly from pure white to something clear, contoured. I let it fill the front seat like warm water, soothing days-long aches. I am happy. I almost can't believe I've said it, as if exposing my joy would set the doom clock ticking. But if everything eventually ends, why not let myself say it? just once. Why not freeze it and return later to remember how it was and how we hummed along to that song, the one still playing now because it is now and not yet later. There is no future without this pothole road stretched out like his God's tongue leading to our city. I may never be a believer, but let's not worry about that now. Behind us, the dog seems to dream about what we can only guess. Thank you. Up next, we have one of the most faithful inner moonlight poets. There's very rarely a show that does not include Alan Gann. He was featured in March 2022.
Thank you, Logan. I, you know, Logan always has intimidated me from the first time I heard her read. I mean, we all know that she's better than we are, but not we, we and we all suspect she knows things that we only pretend to know. <laughs> this is the first appearance of my new book from Assure Press. Better ways to see. This is the first live show. I remember when I learned what the word proem meant, and now I have one. Uh, yeah, so this, this book is really about my parents. And this poem kind of honors how they taught me and my sister better ways to see. It's called Why Apples Fall. Newton calculated the force of an apple's attraction to the earth how hard and fast, such a shallow understanding. Now my mother always said, most behaviors are learned through imitation. So the apple will fall tomorrow because of all the apples it saw fall today, who fall because of what they saw, who fall because of what they saw, all the way back to our first fall and back again to the first angel falling away. But my father believes that falling is the inevitable result of rising, striving to achieve escape velocity, ad astra, and beyond the thermodynamics of capitalism. My sister is a gardener, lives in a world filled with green songs, suggests the apple falls because the grass sings so sweetly as a sari, come, come, whomever you are. But me, I grok that seeds need dirt. And when they finally learn to take root in the empty air of existence, apples will fly. One day, apples will fly. The first half of the book is bird poems, and um, my dad and I, we did a lot of, we weren't really birders together, but we spent a lot of time outdoors together, and we went to see the first bald eagle at, that returned to North Carolina after DDT was banned, and some things like this. But the bird I'm going to read about is one that I saw in the Grand Canyon a few years ago. It's called Condor. Tagged but never tamed. Born in a tiny cave high in the vermilion cliffs. Glimpsed as you soared above after stepping off into the empty air, spreading widest wings wide, catching the rising currents and then the circling glide trusting river and canyon to provide, while I, crossing the Navajo Bridge with my North Face Columbia tribe, can only try and capture as if these jealous photographs could make your majesty mine. Yeah. 
the second half of the book is about my mom and I, we went to art museums. That was our thing. We loved art museums. And so the second half is ekphrastic poems, but they're all based on sculptures from Storm King Art Center up in the, um, it's up in the Hudson River Valley, up in New York, New York State near um, West Point. And it's an amazing place. And one of the things that it has is it has this hand-built brick uh, stone wall collected from stones collected on the grounds and it runs from one end of the storm king to the other and it's just one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen and this is called fieldstone chipped and placed with the care of spooning lovers answering yes to rise and pulse of flowers, to summer's green, whispering, let go, to leaves crimson and gold, murmuring, sleep, to everything beneath the snow. Imagine a wall so confident it does not have to scream, go away, you are not welcome here. A wall that stitches seams together. Low and humble, sinking beneath the surface of a small nameless pond, crawling out on the opposite shore to wind its way among the maples and oaks that will one day grow large enough to dislodge. A wall whose beauty will not be lost in the scattering of its stones. Thank you. Up next, we have a poet whose poems stick with me, our April 2022 feature, Kindle. Thank you. Uh, this book has not made much more progress since April of uh, 2022, so uh, <laughs> I'll still read some poems from it, though. I grew up working on my grandfather's farm, and uh, like not full-time, not enough to really be a farm kid, but enough to uh, have some of the experiences, and this is one of the less glamorous ones. This is called Pastoral. We heard our father's call and started running toward the pasture jumping the fence and into the truck bed as it sped toward the middle. I saw her then, hip deep in the stock pond, eyes white and rolling, neck muscles bulging with struggle. She switched her tail as my uncle approached with a length of rope, watched him warily as he slipped the loop over her neck. My head swam in the thick heat and we were instructed to turn away. The truck tires spun and mud flew up around us as the rope cracked tight and her bellows crescendoed into the whine of the engine and then it was over. And she stood swaying in the tall grass and we all pried our fingernails from our palms and sat down to dinner as if darkness had not brushed our cheeks. This is a poem about killing your idols. It's called, What Will We Do With All These Diamonds? 
Every time a new expose is published, we pick through our records, pulling out the ones we're afraid to listen to now that the darkness in which they were pressed is inescapable. Last week, seven women accused this singer of something too loud to ignore, and we put one on just to see if we missed it before when we loved him like a prophet, but we don't have to. We knew it was there before we named it, under the hard facets that reflected our pain back to us, glittering and a little noble, in a special light that made romance from bruises and broken bottles. We knew you don't get that shine without coal, without the adamantine blackness to press and press and polish like tumbled stone, like a pawn shop wedding ring, tarnished and faded but hot in the hand until you have a good enough line about heartbreak to slip in like a hand under a skirt in a parked car. And I don't know what to do with that, except love it like bleached bones in the desert, its curves abstract, the animal picked clean. This last one, uh, it just has an epigraph that says Dallas, February 2021, and I don't think I have to tell anybody here what happened then um, and how that historic winter event, uh, for me at least, highlighted a lot of the inequities in our community and our city, especially surrounding water and the relationship of people to water, the relationship of our community to water, uh, and how not having it uh, illuminated a lot of the things that need to change here. It's called Now We Know What We Mean When We Say Water Is Holy. Now we know what we mean when we say water is holy, holy like the river they dammed to build this city, the alchemy of water for oil, bricks for barrens and mudflats for everyone else, a whisper of water for the muddy hands that built it, holy like the floods that shake the south where the word is water, that shake our faith and turn saints to refugees, lining up in the Superdome to receive the sacrament of a boxed meal and two nine-ounce bottles while the storm rages in the streets, holy like the thaw, like black ice, slush, the drama of folly and escape, holy like the communion of a gushing fire hydrant. Neighbors filling pots, buckets, desert mouths, a river swirling luxuriously at our feet and flowing, glittering into the gutters, holy like that. Like shall we gather at the river that flows from the alley behind me and Marcus. Last night, I swear, I saw them bring out the cisterns from the Cathedral Guadalupe and pour holy water into Dixie cups for anyone who wanted to drink. Next up, we have one of Inner Moonlight's favorite fiction writers on May 2022, Chris George. Hi, y'all. How y'all doing? Um, yeah, I am a fiction writer. Whenever I came and read at Inner Moonlight, I read from my book, The Occultation. But tonight, I thought it was more appropriate to bring some poetry. So I'm going to read a few poems. Um, this first one is called Dear Ditch Girl. Spring is puffed up all over green like life so big it might explode. Above the stalled truck, vines twist with power lines and blooming everything overtakes fences and stop signs. The axle is all twisted up like a broken arm, and she's sitting in the overgrowth without a signal, or without a cell phone, or without a care. 
out here, the hum of traffic is like the thought of God, always shaking his fists, but never there when you need him. If the trees could talk, there's a hope of a whisper, but it's tornado season, so it's more likely they'd yell. They're waving, not friendly, but eschewing. Dear ditch girl, I saw you then and think of you now. Are you still a part of that place? This one's called the UFO. Grand once said that they thought about buying the UFO, but they never did. It's too bad. The thing is all weeds and graffiti now, locked up behind a private property sign. The kids eating parking lot barbecue watch the UFO longingly as they run empty bones through gap teeth. It's a roll of the dice if you end up in a place with something interesting. If not, it's all left up to dreams. This one's called Water Towers. I've seen one stripped down before, tarps on the bodies like ritual modesty. They leave the big red light on top, always flushing at night. In a dry town, your lips get wet for just about anything, back behind your friend's pool shed or in the bones of an open model home, liquor, apple bong, whippets. When he wasn't spitting and yelling and hitting, Jimmy drank Mike's hard lemonade, but he was always happier drunk than sober. Maybe I saw it wrong. Maybe the tarps were for the eyes of the things. Maybe they just needed a break from all that seeing. This film's called That Loose Goat. I see him often, out by the stop sign between Quinlan and that stretch of nowhere where the trailer's lays and that family is always clogging up traffic riding their ATV on the road. He's a watcher, maybe a knower of something bigger and better than me. Behind the barbed wire, the others kick up dirt, dream up grass and hills. It's a wonder he's got all the world in front of him, but he still doesn't get too far. And this last poem is called Floods. After he hit her, she stayed at my place and slept in my bed. I always left the blinds open, and that night it rained so hard the outside was all washed out, and all the world had to say about the whole thing was shh, 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 when a car drove by. Next night she wanted me to drive her home, so I did, and he was outside pacing between puddles like a trapped rabbit thing, wanting to know my intentions, something I didn't even know, besides being 19 and wanting to do something noble and good and right. She disappeared and he watched me drive out into the back roads, out into the fields where the moon played hooky and the street lights bounced up off a big puddle waxing. Once I'd driven in, it was too late. The water was up to my windows and I thought I might die. And I still wonder now what it would be like to just float away. Thank you. The writer who writes stunningly beautiful poems and is also graduating from UTD this week. Give it up for our June 2022 feature, Aisha Asad. Hi. So I will be reading two new poems that I've written recently, and one that I read from my chapbook last time I was featured. This one is called Father Fish. At the pond, the koi cut through the water, backs glistening, the edge of a knife 
peeking through a yellow mound of butter. Their mouths gaped toward us, as if in prayer, as if they knew how to swallow the dim light filtering in and crowning our skin. Little swirls of fish brushing bodies like tiny jewels of glass gleaming across a car seat. I open my mouth too, for delivery. Let me reign over this pond, this garden where I can taste everything that happened before. Smoke flickering out of the car hood, our bodies flipping like decoy underwater. Then in the hospital, clean as if bathed in light. Scrubbed dry like a throat gridlocked. Like my voice, which wants to say, draw me a river, let me wade in, and I'll turn the clock, haul seconds into my hands until I feel your body warming the water, the koi pooling over our legs, their tails swishing and swishing. This one is called The World Outside, and it's based off of an artwork um, by Moyade Asgarpur called Symphony. Sometimes I think it's the night that shudders against my elbows as I walk outside, orange dress billowing, light spilling onto my pale arms. Like gravity, my body pulls it all in, the world upside down like a switch flipped once and left alone. I'm slipping against the rain-soaked street, and I want to ride my bike off the hill I crashed through when I was nine, grass curling against my broken body like an infant's hand. I want to hear that beautiful silence around me, everything lying still as if I had stopped it. I want the crows huddled like shadows along a telephone line, the night settling into my hair as if someone had whispered it to me. If I fell asleep, I would dream of nothing, not even of the gash that dug its way into my cheek, leaving a film of red bubbling quietly in its wake. This third one is called Blackout Nerves, and it was written during the blackout, as I'm sure many of you guys all experienced. Stone-jawed, our bodies lock and stiffen into silver molds, ironed-out icicles, Freedom land where a blacked out swelling rains, where a hand clenches around the salt of a shining sea. Nightlong ruin born across broken tides of slumbering heat. For this night to exist, it must be passed from family to family. Dragon's breath limping out each daughter's throat. Cold tongue blue, lumped, set aflame by the sound of doorbell. And the mother, rushing to answer in her gray coat that remembers, if not the wizened, frozen apartment of a decade ago. Then the pattern of a new city, laid bare like a half-finished blueprint, or the light it never saw, slow song of a city whimpering with hot rain, music filtered in by heavy sunlight, and her own warm body, hardened like baked clay, eyes eclipsed by the weight of seagulls sweeping above. City shimmering in radiant heat, in the sweet-smelling sigh of its limbs uncoiled. The penalty of inexperience is a law I can't remember. So instead, I gulp water in this beautiful place, swallow the cold that led me here, under layered blankets, waiting for each star-shaped rhyme crystal to spread throughout my network of nerves, landing first at my center, my heart, leaping gently like a young bird, learning her first flight.
But yes, you have one of the few people who ever inspired me to read a novel and like it. Thank you. So you're going to hear fiction now. Woo. Woo. Yeah, because I don't write poetry. Um, so I recently realized that all of my books deal with death and loss. Uh, thank you, Channing Nichols, for showing me that I'm very comfortable with death, apparently. And um, <laughs> this is something from my uh, a novel that we're trying to sell right now. So. I've never read it out loud in public before, and I'm excited to share a little bit with you. Like I said, it has death, okay? So I wanted to explore the death and loss that a mythological, famous mythological woman experienced, um, and what kind of goes on, like kind of her story um, in this book. I'm not gonna, you'll find out who it is. <laughs> I don't have to give you a lot of background. You don't really need to know anything else except it's the beginning of chapter three, which really you don't need to know either. All right. <laughs> I will admit that the death of my children was by my hands, but I had no ill will toward them for what their father did to us. They were my whole world, and though I may be confused about my past and can't remember certain details, I know this to be true. I love them until the end. That love is seared inside my body and emerges every night. After I left Elena's house, I returned to the banks of the river so that I could walk back to the spot I'd initially fallen asleep. The crackers, apple, and cheese helped to stave off the hunger I'd started to feel. I could last a few days without anything else to eat if I wanted to, but the food felt good in my stomach, and I made it my goal for the day to find more. My boots had made prints in the moist mud the night before, and this morning they had begun to harden. I'm not sure what made me do it, but I paused and placed one foot inside a print. The hardening edges of my footprint crumbled under the pressure of my boot. I found some delight in this, so I continued walking in my footsteps up the pass. It was but a few moments before the images and memories I was cursed to relive every night came to the forefront of my mind. The stifling darkness, a soft breeze of hot air, a round moon cradled by a blanket of stars, my children in my arms, Antonia's small body pushing against my right side from the force of the river my left arm struggling against the current to keep Tomasito in my left arm. The panic set in my chest as the frigid water rose over my head. I kicked a few times to the surface, my body's last effort to stay alive, but it did no good. My tears mixed with the river water, which pierced my skin like needles until my limbs lost all feeling. It was my fault, all my fault, their lives lost because I was an awful mother. I did not deserve to live. I opened my mouth and let the water enter. It only took a minute for the air to leave my lungs and escape between my lips, rising as tiny bubbles to the surface. I died in the river with my children in my arms, that much is true. The river washed away the woman I was and in its place floated someone else that I did not recognize. When my feet finally touched the bottom of the riverbed, I awoke as something else, something not exactly human. I was La Llorona. My feet pushed against the soft, muddy bottom of the river and I rose to the surface with my children in tow, dragging them to the muddy embankment. The river had pushed us downstream, so where I now pulled my children's bodies out of the water was not where I lost one of my shoes in the mud. Tomasito was easy to carry like a small bag of rice, but Antonia's body was not. She'd taken in so much water. I put Tomasito down before grabbing my daughter's arms. I grunted and lost my breath, pulling her onto the embankment. I didn't think as I pulled her out, not in my actions or the reality of what had happened. My body moved on its own accord. It wasn't until I dropped to my knees and pushed away her long black hair 
that wrapped around her throat and face that I realized what I had done. That's when I began to cry. Soft at first, my right hand shaking over my daughter's face, trying to wipe away the leaves, twigs, and mud from the creases of her eyes and around her nose and mouth. My crying grew louder and I cupped Tomasito's face where he lied next to his elder sister. I fell onto the cold, wet bodies of my children and wailed loud, long, and hard, an infinite cry that lasted for hours on a single breath. When I finally inhaled again, I couldn't stop repeating three words over and over again. I, mis hijos, I, mis hijos, I, mis hijos. I stopped walking and the memory ceased. For a second, I thought I heard my own cries over space and time. I picked up my foot and set it down onto a drying print that I had not yet stepped on. My foot moved back and forth, obliterating the outline. I walked on, making a new set of tracks that the wind, water, and earth would erase soon enough. Our next poet was our October 2022 feature, the ever wonderful Jesus. Hi everyone, can you hear me all right? Yes. Thank you, Logan, for getting this all arranged. This is really fantastic. Uh, thanks to the writers, Garrett, and Aaron in particular. Thanks to Wild Detectives. I really love this space and always feel really welcomed here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read two poems from my second manuscript in progress, a dad poem and a mom poem. Uh, the dad poem is a villanelle, and it's called An Accident. The day he slammed the tailgate on my finger, we'd just unloaded the last of the firewood it was an accident. I wasn't in danger. He said he was sorry, twice. A real humdinger, my father called his handiwork, my hand, the day he slammed the tailgate on my finger. I was 13, a back-tier church choir singer. I'd prayed for a straightening all that I could. It was an accident. I wasn't in danger as long as I sang my part. I felt no anger beyond the usual mortifying need the day he slammed the tailgate on my finger. He shuffled cards. I split the deck. A king or queen, a flush or straight, I understood it was an accident. I wasn't in danger. The nail turned plum, then black, a harbinger of night. A little sunset in my blood the day he slammed the tailgate on my finger. It wasn't an accident. I was a danger. The mom poem's a little nicer. <laughs> um, it's about the Lilith Fair, which if you're... <laughs> If you're too, too young to know what that was, or just not tuned in, it was a very, very wonderful uh, all-woman all music festival in the late 90s, which I really wanted to go to, but didn't have the chance to. This is called Poem in Which I'm Allowed to Go to the Lilith Fair. Or rather, Poem in Which I Bother to Ask to Go to the Lilith Fair. 
not convinced the answer will be no, you're too young, and it's too far away, and besides, that music is for lesbians. Poem in which, poem in which mom says yes. She will take a week off her job at Lockheed, programming software that launches satellites into precisely figured orbits and drive her son two states away to a feminist music festival. <laughs> she loves that song, If It Makes You Happy. <laughs> and Cheryl Crow will be on the main stage of this poem. Poem with Mud Girl and Love Riot with kitten and wild strawberries. Poem in which I meet Tracy Chapman and cry and say how much fast car means to me, even though, even though I'm only 13 and I live in the suburbs and I don't even like cars. Poem in which Tracy Chapman understands, of course, how a boy like me might feel trapped in which Tracy's autograph looks like two half notes on an invisible staff harmonizing, and all she writes, best wishes, is enough. Poem in which I'm not the only boy. There's one by the henna station. And look, there's another one buying his boyfriend a beer. Poem in which two lesbians, between the Sean Colvin and Jewel sets, Tell mom how their hearts balloon at the sight of us on our quilt, singing along to Sunny Came Home and eating apple slices. Poem in which mom smokes a little bit of pot. A gift from the lesbians. And tells me about the time she and her girlfriends snuck into the dressing room at a Yes concert. And Yes was in their underwear, silk panties, the style at the time. And the lead singer, Eric something, flanked by groupies, talked about how much he missed his wife and kids on tour. And mom tells me how terrible she was to my father, a monster, and that I'd better be good to my boyfriends, and I don't pretend I don't understand. Poem in which I learn what yes is. The stars come out, and mom dances. Thank you. Second to last poet for the evening are January 2023 feature the incomparable Laura Neal. Hello, thank you. So I'm going to read uh, one poem, and it's an ode. Uh, an ode is a poem of reverence and celebration, um, usually about something gone or going. Um, there's a term that you'll hear in this poem called cow castle, uh, and um, I was raised in a small town in South Carolina, uh, and before this small town in South Carolina had a name, um, it was a plantation called cow castle plantation, and I didn't know this until I was an adult. So I remember as a child eating a particular fruit and someone would say in jest, hey, you're eating that cow castle fruit. Um, and so that makes sense when I read it. But yeah, so this poem was kind of written um, in a state of interrogation of um, how language sort of 
has residual qualities to it. Um, yeah, so this is Ode to a Watermelon. You're just as sweet as you want to be, all golden and red inside. Look at those green stripes stretching over you like a timeline, all your black seeds in one place. You're everybody's favorite come summertime. At the backyard barbecue, you make a mess of our hands, your water wetting our necks. Like magic, you keep growing, and you too were given a common name after Africa. Some folks called you cow castle fruit, put in the bitter earth and pluck out sweet. This world has made fruit of many bodies that ripened in the half dark. So much fruitless labor, and somehow, dear watermelon, somehow you survived what was never meant to end. Thank you. Our final poet for the evening, our March 2023 feature in the favorite ghost home, Lauren Bicolbarza. Thank you so much, Logan, for organizing this fantastic reading um, and celebration of the fifth year anniversary. Um, and thank you, Aaron and the Raiders Garrett for Dallas is Lit. Awesome, I'm so excited. There's gonna be so many awesome things like the next few days. I'm just gonna be living in Oak Cliff, I guess, the entire time. I'm not even gonna go home tonight. I'm just gonna like go to sleep in that corner. Um, anyway, I'm here to read uh, ghost interviews. They're not real, I mean, you can, you can pretend they're real if you want to, but they're, I didn't actually interview ghosts. They're from my chat book, and then I'm gonna read a poem from an epistolary novel, kind of from the same universe of ghost hunting stuff that's currently in circulation. The first poem I'd like to read was requested by somebody, I won't say who, and it's called Interview with Little Boy. Little Boy is the name of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Reincarnated as a musk thistle plant in Los Alamos, New Mexico, from the files of the EVP transcriber, an EVP transcriber is somebody that transcribes ghost interviews, session 48. And there's an epigraph. It says, now I am become death, destroyer of worlds, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Life flash, milliseconds to millennia. My jostling cells incarnate as fission eight their replication. My body opened a basilica of fire. And those who saw me cried for mercy from my passing touch. And if to worship is to fear, they worshiped me with throats hollowed by swollen tongues. They wandered in the ashes of my vanishing, a kind of reverence. I'm not a devil. I barely grace this world before I flamed out of existence and carry no regrets. I followed orders and was proud to function beautifully. The earth's splits moan in remembrance of me. Okay, this next poem is called The Moon's Testimony from the files of the EVP transcriber, session 135. 
So much was needed to transform my flesh to rock. Overlooked in the formation of nations, wars, and other gods, I lathed my mostly human-looking face with recoil buffers, calcified, absorbed odd meteoric dust. I learned to beam with only feeble sources of illumination. My family all abandoned me, and I understood anyone can find a way to give up on the things that stay indifferent to them. I forged my own completion polished my pores to a glare, fossilized my smile to become the moon, and can tell you now, once whole, I mirrored suns. Don't you notice oceans, even lakes, are keen to rearrange themselves, always inching closer to my beauty? It's my form they crave, my own prodigious gravity, my pain redacted. I was grand and pale, almost a real live goddess, though I was caught in my body's manipulation and punished viciously. Lunacy, they call it. My name's reiterated every time a weak, misguided mind loses discretion. I'm no exemplar, though my shape demands consideration. I'm just a limbless object, doomed to only see the darkest side of Earth, forever helpless to escape, look left or right, do anything but blink. Um, so this last poem, uh, I, I told Alex I would read because she was talking about reading about death and I was like, well, I'll just read the dead girl poem and then, then we'll be twinsies. Um, <laughs> so this is the dead girl poem um, and it's from the epistolary novel I'm circulating now. Map for girls to the haunted house of girls. This map leads to the house of dead girls pushed into rafters, dragged into and out of cars, led down muddy riverbanks, behind dumpsters, up against the walls of a basement workshop, the smell of wood shavings and piss. Furnaces clicked on, radiating the heat of their bodies. The house drew breath, a living thing. Your body finds the stairs, scrambles to the second floor. The attic hides behind the straw shadow of a boar or man. Girls died in these rooms, girls that would not listen, girls that did not walk the well-lit side of the road, girls that wanted sex or to belong within the world of boys, transformed to prey in the world of men. A life of a thousand deaths, these girls. Their voices cloistered, closeted into ovens and cupboards, piled under beds and shut up like windows stained black, like the black throat of a corpse, in the hallway, the outline of a girl begs to not be forgotten. In the kitchen, a girl buries herself under the wet limbs of her sisters. Scratch marks decorate her walls, like skeletal brush strokes, like a death chamber's waxing interior, like sharp lines drawn by a scythe down the skin of a thigh. So many of us, our words thrum a beating heart. Feel it, here, by pressing a hand or cheek to the quivering animal. Join us, find a strong enough embrace and hold tight. Become a keep or coffin. It doesn't matter if what remains has need for air. Press against us, here. Press the breath right out of us. Thank you. Beautiful, that's promised.
executive director of the Writers Garrett, Aaron Glover, is going to come tell us a little bit more about that. Hello, everyone. Thank you. I'm going to tell you about Dallas is Lit in just a moment. Uh, but before that, um, Logan started this with a list of thank yous, and I would like to end it with a thank you to Logan. Can we get a hand for Logan, please? Yes. Yeah, this is a stand-up situation, if you can. To put a thing on is hard. Yes. Yes. Thank you, right? To put a thing on and do it again is hard. To put a thing on and do it again when it is not something that you get paid for and do it for five years yes. is an insanely challenging thing. And you have done, I think James said it perfectly, you have made this magical space. So uh, on behalf of all of the poets who are here tonight, we would like to offer you this poster. Because Logan gets to host these beautiful events and these evenings and every month I put people's names on this graphic and I really try to spell it right but sometimes I get it wrong but <laughs> Logan never gets to have her name on on the poster so this one's for it's right there created by Yes, we got emotions. Uh, speaking of emotions, I have all of them right now. Um, we are, as Logan mentioned, kicking off the first ever Dallas is Lit, which is so exciting. Yes, we'll take a hand for that. Uh, this is, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this is the first ever. It is, a, uh, it is an attempt to take an expansive understanding of what literary can be. So, we want this to, we, we love authors, we love books. There is so much more to what is literary than, those, than that relationship and those things. So uh, we have an entire lineup. This is the first of 13 events yeah. <laughs> over the next four days after this one. On your little tables, there's some little cards. Those cards have QR codes on the back of them. That will take you to our website where you can see all the rest of the events for this. We have things starting from tomorrow. We've got a panel hosted by Alex Temblador, who you saw, yes, called Lit Talk. Uh, Lauren Brazil will be featured on that panel. We have, on Friday night, we have an incredible poetry performance called Hear Me, See Me that's going to be performed in English, Spanish, and American Sign Language that's taking place at the Texas Theater. Ten Tickets are $10, and it is going to be a extremely powerful, extremely powerful evening. I We rehearsed it last night, and at the end, I'm like, this is so good, you're great. <laughs> um, we've got ghost stories coming up at the Texas Theater after that that are going to be in the dark with the cool ghost light and some crazy storytellers. On Saturday, we have a book fair. We've got drag queen story time. We have... Uh, what else do we have? We have other things. There's a workshop. There's only five spots left if you know Lisa Huffaker and her work or the folks at Oil & Cotton. It's a $30 class for two hours. It is an absolute steal. I would run people over, push over grandmas, get those tickets. 
the other thing that I want to mention on sa Sunday, what the two things that are, that are happening on Sunday, one of them is a brunch. Now, I don't know if you know, but apparently Sunday is Mother's Day, and some idiot decided to schedule a brunch rom-com uh, event on Mother's Day in a literary festival, and whoever that is, I want to have a word with him. Yeah, okay, um, but it is a uh, rom-com brunch over at Taco Ivino. Tables are $70. That gets you a bottle of wine and six tacos, plus some scenes from literary rom-com moments uh, from throughout the ages. It's going to be so much fun, and there are still t tables available, so please, please, please. Bring your mother. Yes, bring your mother. No, that's why I'm like, my mom, she would yeah. love that. So if you don't have plans, please, 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 please get a table and come join us. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is at Who's Books. Uh, on Sunday, we're having Hora de Cuentos. So if you are a Spanish speaker, we have four amazing Spanish-speaking uh, Spanish storytellers who are going to come. We're going to do, there's going to be a little, little street fair. There's going to be paletas and elotes and all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's going to be amazing. As you can see, we have a ton of stuff. So please check out, oh yeah, right, thank you. <laughs> Brains. Um, Saturday evening at the Turner House, we also have the Common Language Project reading. That's going to be amazing. That's our our uh, contest that we run. What? Yes, and there's a this is see, look on the thing. Get the get the QR code. Look at all the stuff. There's so many things to come to. Um, I'm going to stop battling now. Yeah, because I'm doing it. Thank you so much. I'm going to let Logan have the final word. But thank you. Thank you all so much for coming out to this. Um, I would like to hear a round of applause for this audience. Yeah. That was um, and one more big round of applause for the 12 amazing writers. Thank you so much. I'm Logan Kier. This has been Inner Moonlight. You can find us on all of your podcast platforms and right here at The Wild Detectives on the second Wednesday of the month. Thank y'all so much.